there were two big questions that the early church had to wrestle with. Ones that maybe we wrestle with from time to time in our own hearts. But these were huge things. Now, we read about Acts 15. There was a whole struggle about whether Gentiles that were coming into the church needed to do the same things that, that the Jews were doing. They solved that problem. But then as scholars read and, and did more things in, we're talking about the second century, there were two big questions that lingered for people and followers of Christ. The first one was this. Why didn't John the Baptist follow Jesus? That's, that's a deep question. That's not one that I ever thought of when I was growing up. That was not one that I sort of picked up on. John never becomes a follower of Jesus. He is his own teacher. He has his own disciples. He is the messenger of Christ. That is his job, but he never becomes a follower of Jesus. Now, just because you are a teacher of your own right does not mean that he, was, he didn't become a a, a believer in Jesus and who he was. He was the messenger. He believed in that message that there was another one greater than me, one more powerful than me coming behind me. I am a teacher, yes, and I have this message of repentance, but there is one more powerful than I coming behind me. And this was John's job. This was his role. The early church believed that John knew that Christ was that Jesus was the Christ. He was the Messiah. That didn't mean that he needed to drop what he was doing and follow Jesus. But he could become a teacher in his own right to teach that to his own disciples and say there is this message of repentance. There is this message of glory. God has revealed himself in Christ and now let's do what he says. John doesn't need to become a follower of Jesus in order to believe that he's the Christ. That is his role. That's his offering. That's his position. The second question is a little bit tougher. And the second question John himself wrestled with. When we read in the other Gospels, John himself pushed back against Jesus coming and being baptized. He said, it's not you that should be baptized. I should be baptized by you, and, and Jesus would not allow that. It specifically says that John had a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus comes and meets him there and is baptized by him. And so the early church wrestled with this question as well. Why does Jesus get baptized. That's a tough one. That's a tough one because it says that John is forgiving of sins. Now, we can work this out a little bit in our lives. We can work that out through our own baptism, what we were taught in those moments when, before we took the dip in the water. Because we've learned now that baptism is not what saves us. Baptism is not the mechanism for the saving of our souls. It's not the place that we go to forgive our sins. That's not what it's used for. John was calling people to repentance, and through that repentance was the symbol of baptism. That, yes, I have repented. I have changed my course. 
And now I've come to show this as a symbol of what we are doing, the renewal of all things. Jesus didn't have sin, so he didn't need his sins forgiven. But there was a symbolism to what he was doing there. There was a moment that Jesus was there. That repentance, that symbolism of this is something fresh. We have come in a new way to experience God. And here's how we do that. It's that moment of going into the water. It's that purification and cleansing. It's the renewal and rebirth, a death to the old self. The symbol of saying, here's my ministry. It hasn't started yet, but now I have, as I'm baptized, as I come up through the waters, there is new life here. There is a renewal of all things, a rebirth, an initiation, a transition, and a change from what we used to do, from the old ways. And the laws used to, used to be inherent in our lives. And Jesus says, no, 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 we're not going to do that anymore. Look, it's something new that's happened. Look at the freshness of the water. Let's use this baptism as a symbol for all of the good things to come. It's also this connection back to creation. The symbol of the water being the first thing that God speaks. The Spirit hovering over the waters. They're all there together in the water. And Jesus says, let's recreate that moment. I'm going to go into the water, and when I come up, God will be there. The Holy Spirit will descend on me. A perfect picture of the Trinity once again. Now we say it's a mini revelation, it's a mini apocalypse, because as you read the text, it's not clear, I think it's clear, but for some people it's not clear whether Jesus is, or God's voice is heard by all people or not, which would, necess, uh, would make the transfiguration coming later a necessity. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, Jesus saw heaven being torn open. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. You see, Jesus was revealed through that baptism, but not everyone got to hear God point that out. And so it was a moment of faith for those in attendance. John points out that this is the one who has come. This is the one who is better than me, the one who is more powerful. And now it's a faith journey. Now it's a moment to say, yeah, we weren't part of that trinity there. We weren't part of that moment of God coming down and revealing his son. That was just confirmation for Jesus. But there's one other thing that I think that this water of baptism points out. And I think it's the most important part. I think it's what Jesus was using this moment of baptism for. That the waters of baptism are a moment of surrender. They are a moment of submission. That there is one of higher authority. That there is one who has more power. And John said, here comes one more powerful than me. I'm not even worthy to bend down and untie his sandals. 
And Jesus came to the waters and said, there is another one more powerful than me. He is our holy father. He is the one that sent me. He is the one whose bidding that I do. He is the one for the reason I have come to reveal his heart for all of people and all of creation and the redemption of all things. Because Jesus didn't step in the water to have his sins forgiven. Jesus steps in the water to say, I am not my own. I am the Father's. I have been created for a purpose. And my will and my role is to play to reveal him in all things. And this was John's message. To reveal, <clears throat> to reveal Jesus in all things. And Jesus' message was to reveal God in all things. And the only way forward for us believers is to echo John's message to all people. To echo Jesus' message for all people. That everything that we do, our baptism and anything beyond that is a witness to the power of Christ. Is a witness to the power of who God is. It's the humility and the pointing to something greater. That this is not about me. That there is one more powerful than I. That this church is not about us. It's not about being just a collection of believers. It's not just gathering things so we can become powerful. But this community of believers is all about why we come together to point the way to one more powerful than us. And that helps us discover our, our identity. That what baptism does, what those waters of baptism do, is it strips of strips us of our identity. It says, you are no longer your old self, but you belong to someone now. And that's not a very popular message, by the way. I want to be free. You know, I kind of want to do my own thing. I don't want someone telling me what to do. I don't want some old guy with a beard. I don't want to have to follow his rules. I want to be free. I want to be my own person. Well, we're all beholden to something. And as much as you think that that lifestyle might make you free, it doesn't. Because you are attracted to sin and you are attracted to the greed and avarice of life here. You're not free. You are not your own. You are owned by something, not someone. And Jesus says, let's change that a little bit. Let's make our identity in God, in the Father. And John says, let's change that a little bit. Let's make our identity in Jesus the Christ. Let's all become sons and daughters like Jesus. And strip our old self away. That's what true repentance is. It's an acknowledgement of our imperfections. That through humility and self-awareness, through self-examination, we can begin to understand our identity in relation to our need for spiritual growth. That if we're not tied to Christ, we're tied to something else. 
and that any time our imperfections show up, we are called to repent of those. We're called to turn from them. We're called to that moment of baptism. Not where we need the water to purify us, not where we need the water to forgive us of our sins, but to go to God and say, this is wrong. This is so wrong. But John's baptism is a symbol. He calls for that repentance. It's a shedding of the old self. And it leads to a deeper understanding of our own identity as someone on a transformative spiritual journey. But baptism and these waters and this call to repentance, it's something much deeper than that. Because verse 5 says, all the people of Jerusalem. We often think of this repentance as a singular individual moment. As a moment where we come to God and say, oh yes God, I have turned from the world I've shed my old self. And what do we do? We accept Christ into our hearts. Because that's biblical. And then we're set, right? We've got Christ in our hearts. We can carry him in a little pouch everywhere we go. And he's good to go. And every time I want to talk about him, I'll just set him out here on the desk and say, Hey, do you guys know my friend Jesus? Oh, don't bring that around. Okay, I'll put him back in his box then. And that's how we live as Christians. We've got Jesus in our heart. We've got the Holy Spirit in our veins. As long as they stay there. As long as I don't have to change my life. As long as I don't lose who I am in the process. Who you are is a very ugly. Who you are is so broken. Who you are is chained to sin. That's what you want to hold on to. That's what you want to cling to. That's the nostalgia that you feel for your old days and your old ways and your old self. Jesus doesn't want to come into this broken place because it's not broken with Jesus. True repentance is whole self. The Greek word for repentance is metanoia. It literally means change mind. To change one's mind. It conveys a profound transformation of one's mind, encompassing a change of thinking and feeling and ultimately in behavior. That what we have in our hearts what we have stored up, like Joseph storing up the crops for a long drought of seven years. What we have stored up in here flows outward in all of our behaviors, in all of our thoughts. That if the vault is empty, if the storehouse is empty, if it doesn't hold the good grain, then it doesn't flow into our behaviors as well. That what we have stored up in here in our hearts must be from Christ. It must be turned. We must change our whole, a comprehensive change of inner being. 
a turning away from a life of sin and a turning toward a new way of life aligned with righteousness and divine principles. And here's the great thing about what was happening in the desert that day. The great thing about what was happening in John's ministry, John's role that he played. He didn't need to become a disciple of Jesus because he was the baptizer. He was the one calling people to repentance. Change your mind, change yourself. But all of Jerusalem listened to him. So there is a sense of community in our repentance. There is a sense of the whole body of Christ toward repentance. John's message just didn't hit individuals and say, good, do you want to be baptized? Do you want to be baptized? Do you want to be baptized? Let's come single file out here. It was the community longing for change. It was the community longing for repentance. It was everyone coming to John and saying, we see the need for this to happen. How do we do it? How do we make change happen here? And what did John say? Just scatter yourselves around. I will baptize you individually, and then you don't do anything else but just be individuals in Christ. There was a call to community through that. There was a communal longing for change. And this communal response suggests a shared recognition of the need for change and a, a collective longing for spiritual renewal within the community. This was just not a few random people. This was the Spirit of God coming into the community and saying, change can happen. It's a symbolic unity in repentance. That the community response emphasizes the transformative power of collective commitment to spiritual growth. That we are committed together for spiritual growth. We are committed together for transformation. We are committed together to the renewal of all things. We are committed together to that submission to a higher authority. We don't get to walk this road individually. We get to walk this road with a whole host of believers. It's this community response that is what forms spiritual communities. It's this message that John had of repentance. It's the only way forward for us. We don't start churches just to have power. We don't start churches just because we want a place to meet with everyone. Communities are formed because of this response to change. Spiritual communities are formed out of a response to transformation. That we just don't go to church because it's a fun place to hang out. We don't just go to church because that's where all our friends are. We come to church because there has been a response, a felt need for change in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our families, within our own lives. And John's message of repentance inspired and encouraged the city of Jerusalem to leave what they were doing and come and meet me in the desert. 
Change your mind, change your actions, change your body. It's a unified journey towards repentance and renewal. That's the church. That's what a church is, a unified journey toward repentance and renewal. It's not a building. It's, people say, well, it's not, church is not a building, it's people. Yeah, it is kind of. It's a response to something. It's a communal response. It's a unified response toward repentance. And so unified journey of repentance toward this repentance and renewal, it involves three things that I believe. Shared effort, mutual support, and intentional practices. So when we talk about shared effort, this is what the community does for us. This is why we're in a community, a responsive, united community, working toward repentance, that there are shared values and intentions. Look at, look at the intentions of everyone in this passage. Everyone is very intentional about what is happening, what is going to happen. John says there's going to be a baptism of repentance, and there's someone that's coming that's more powerful than me. And Jesus sets off, and his intentions are to start this ministry, the very initiation of all of those things. Members of the community align around common spiritual values and shared intentions for personal and collective growth. The things that we do here should be reflected in your lives, that we're giving you a storehouse we're giving you the word, we're giving you prayer, we're giving you confession, we're giving you communion. And all of those things are shared together. It's the picture in Acts 2. They shared all things in common. And people are like, well, that sounds like communism to me. No, that's not communism. That's a spirit, a spiritual community coming together and sharing things like prayer and meals and the word of God. Because they sense the need for a community of shared values and intentions. But this helps us create a unified focus and direction for the community's journey. That we together as people get to decide what we look like as a community. What we look like as a church. What we, our unified response to the word of God is. And you might be used to that old way where the pastor stands up and says, here's what our response to God is. And I'm just not that kind of pastor. That's not what I believe the Bible and Jesus is pointing us to. I believe that what Jesus and the Bible has pointed us to is a community of believers saying, this is the kind of group that we want to be. Here's how our unified response looks. And I can say a few words and point out a few passages, but ultimately, it's the community that decides. It's that unified effort. It's that redemption of all things. Shared efforts also include communal acts of service, that we can engage in service as a community, and it helps reinforce that idea of renewal, of rebirth, of submission, that if we see something in need, we're not too proud to go and help. 
that we're humbling ourselves before God's creation, before God's people, before God's children, before our brothers and sisters. And we feel like, well, I'm not dignified to, to do that job. I'm just, I just can't do that. I can't lower myself to do that. Yeah. Communities are changed when people can humble themselves and step into that and say, you know what? We can do something here. We can help people as a community. And we look then at mutual support, that in this unified journey toward repentance, it involves the idea of mutual support, that there is an accountability factor, that if John just said, here's your baptism, here's your repentance, and now just go and do your own thing, and I hope you survive. But belonging to this unified community, belonging to this spiritual community of believers, there is an accountability factor. There's an accountability for all of us that we can establish a way to have accountability within the community so that others are on that journey of repentance, that others are where they should be, not where they think they should be. But they're moving toward that together. It might involve something like accountability partners or small groups for regular check-ins. We, we have a small group, by the way. This is our small group. But small groups that meet in homes can have a different business. Maybe not meeting for Bible studies, but meeting together to be accountable to one another. That as we grow closer to one another in the spirit, we can say, how are you? Where are you on your walk? Let me hold you accountable for that. Is there something that you need me to hold you accountable to? Well, yeah, I've been angry a lot lately, and I need someone to help me not be so angry. That's what small groups can do. That's why we have a value of building bigger tables, that we want to invite people in to share meals and not talk about Bible studies, not open the Word of God, but to look at our friends and neighbors in the face and say, where do you hurt? Where do you have need? How can I hold you accountable to that and for that? And guys, that's not to be busybodies. It's not to pry into someone's life and say, oh, did you hear what they've been doing? <laughs> because true repentance means that we are holding one another accountable to those things. But the community doesn't work if we're not responsible for each other. Church is a team sport. I used that phrase before weddings. Weddings are a team sport. If someone has something out of place, fix it for them. And so church is the same way. If someone's struggling with something, thoughts and prayers to you, my friend. No, it's intentionality. It is stepping into their lives and saying, how can I help hold you accountable for this? How can I walk with you as you struggle in this? How can I fix this with you? But do you see what that does? It starts to cultivate an environment of open communication with one another. 
It starts to open that flow of communication where we just don't get together and we say, oh, that was nice. I enjoyed that. But we can start to speak openly with one another about the things that we struggle with. Transparency builds trust and it deepens the sense of community. We can't do that right now, right? We can't walk in and stand up here and confess all the sins that we do during the week. I don't want you to do that either, by the way. That's not what confession means. It's going to someone and saying, I'm broken, I'm sick, I'm hurting, and I'm struggling. How can we do this together? It's not a laundry list. It's not an airing of grievances. It is, I'm broken. And I want to be honest with you. I hurt. Will you walk with me? And being a member of this church, being a member of this community says you are willing to walk with the people in this room wherever they need to go. However they need to get out of whatever it is that they're in. And we celebrate together and we mourn together. And thirdly, intentional practices are always cultivated in a community where there's true unity of repentance. That there's an idea of participation, that church is a team sport, but it's also a participation sport. Nobody rides the bench in church. That we all come together and we participate as members of a community of believers. That's why we do prayer and worship and confession and reading of the word and communion, because all of those things are participation sports. They're all activities that we can do. And we want to do those activities not just on Sunday, but we want to do them Monday through Saturday. And we just don't want to do them in our home. We want to do them with people that we see. In our jobs, around the corner, with our neighbors. How can we participate in their lives? How can we be like John and humble ourselves and say, there is a need for something here? How can I step in and do something? Fight the temptation to be a savior, though. Fight the temptation to say, oh yes, how can I step in and save this? Because there is one more powerful than us. That our job is the message of John. That there is one more powerful. And we humble ourselves in front of him. And it's not about us, it's about him. But I think that intentional practices inside the church should force us to have intentional practices in our own lives. Like the practice of reflection. That this self-examination, that being truthful with yourself means that you can be truthful with God. As Jesus stood in front of the woman at the well in John 4, he said, there will be worshipers of God in truth and spirit. That worship of God starts with the truth about who we are. And we don't understand who we are until we have those moments of self-examination to really go through and say, how am I living up to those things? How am I doing in these things, in these areas? Self-examination of John's message and the message of Jesus 
can lead to a deeper understanding of who we are and what we are called to repent from. Here we are. God has revealed himself to us through Jesus. How are we revealing God through ourselves? Jesus got baptized because he showed that anyone can do it. He showed that it's possible for anyone to step forward and reflect a life of God, the life that God wants us to live. It's a longing for renewal. Renewal. 